Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. We are, as always, thankful for your presence, and it's good to be back, and we're thankful for you this morning. If you have your Bibles and you'd be turning to John chapter 8, uh, we will finish our last sermon in this series of thoughts in this chapter, and they are, again, about our Lord. Uh, our title this morning is Christ Brings Freedom. Christ Brings Freedom. We'll know three things in this chapter. We'll try to get to the end. We may not, but we'll do our best. Those three things are freedom, fathers, and faith. Those are the things that's touched on in verses 31 down to verse number 59. Of course, what's been under discussion is the divinity of Jesus. And he has claimed it, and he has said there are witnesses to it, and they've testified that is also the second thing is the doctrine of Christ, and he's demonstrated his divinity by his deeds. He read hearts, verses 1 through 11. He's the light of the world, verses 12 to 18, the way to the Father, 19 to 27, and ultimately he will die for the world. This brings one to the decision about Jesus, and that's where we find ourselves in this chapter it's always the case. A decision has to be made about Jesus. He is someone that you cannot ignore. He is someone about whom you cannot be indifferent. You can be indifferent about a great many things. Sometimes you might discuss, and I have discussions, and someone say, did you hear? And you say, no, I, I've never heard that. Well, were you aware of? Did you follow? No, I don't follow that. I, I am really indifferent to that in my life. I'm not aware of it. There can be things like that in your life. Jesus is not one of them. You cannot be indifferent to Jesus. Somebody will say, well, I just won't choose him. I won't think about him. Well, you've already made a decision. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he that is not with me is against me. You cannot be indifferent. To not choose him is to reject him. And there you go in that position with Jesus. And so the Bible says they rejected him. Some did. You read through John chapter 11, and there were plenty who rejected him. But we end verse 30. That's where we start this morning. And the Bible says, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So encouraging that no matter what the state of the world is, somebody will believe in Jesus. In fact, you just need to be that somebody. There will always be a remnant, even if it's eight souls in the days of Noah. There will be someone who believes in Jesus, and many believed in him. That brings us to the beginning of this next section in our discussion, and that is, from there, a discussion of freedom began. Notice verse number 31 and verse number 32. The Bible says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Immediately, one is confronted with this idea of freedom, and that brings up a discussion of bondage. But Jesus says that that which makes you free is the truth. And that really is the case. You can be in bondage to anything, and the truth to that thing will unlock the cell and set you free. It's that way with God. It's that way with anything. You can have financial issues in life, learn the truth, unlock the door, and off you go. You can have issues and ignorance and be in bondage to other issues of life. If you learn the truth, you can unlock yourself. You can get out. You'll know the truth. 
the truth shall make you free. But the question here is, freedom in what way and freedom about what? That's the discussion. Notice that Jesus says two things. First of all, those who believe in him, the truth under discussion is whether or not Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus says to those who believed in him, that's what they believe, that's the truth. But he is also saying, secondly, his word is the truth. And so you need to believe that he is, that's the emphasis of the book. And here, a great many people want to stay. They will simply say, as long as you believe in Jesus, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. It is certainly the case that you need to believe in Jesus. That's absolutely right. That's been the emphasis throughout the book and throughout this chapter, to believe in Jesus. But look at verse 31 again, and notice what Jesus says. Jesus is talking to those who already do that. He said to those who believe in him, and then he says, if— if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and the truth shall set you free. Individuals who already believe, the Bible says, must continue in his word. And his word is his teaching, his doctrine, whatever the Bible teaches, that's what we must continue in. That's where the freedom is. It's never the case that simply believing in Jesus is what one must do. It's believing in Jesus, and that belief would move you to obey whatever Jesus teaches. Consider Matthew chapter 5 and how many subjects he touches in his first address to humanity. Consider this very book as John talks about the teachings of Jesus, the new birth in chapter 3. Do you have to believe that? The worship that he talks about with the woman in John chapter 4, he says to her, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, salvations of the Jews. He says you have to worship God in spirit and in truth. Do you have to continue in that? Then there is the resurrection in John 5, the bread of life in John 6, the subject of judging in John 7, and even here, he talks in these first 11 verses of John 8. You'll remember the woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. See, that's not simply believing in Jesus. That's believing in morality. That's believing in doing what Jesus says. That's not sinning anymore. That goes beyond simply believing in Jesus. Freedom, he talks about. Well, what freedom? He says the truth brings freedom. The Jews, however, thought it was their heritage. Notice their response in verse 33. They answered, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How then do you say you will make us free? They missed the point. They thought physically, and that's been their problem the entire book. Every time Jesus speaks, he's teaching some spiritual point, and they focus on a physical point. 
just read again from chapters 2 all the way over to chapter 8, and you'll talk about the temple in chapter 2. He was talking about the temple of his body. The new birth in chapter 3, he was talking about being born again, not entering the second time into your mother's womb. In John chapter 4, he's talking about water, living water, the water that he gives, not physical water from a well. In chapter 5, he's the resurrection. He's talking about him. He's the resurrection and the life, and, and he's ultimately talking about being born again in John chapter 5 as well. He is the bread of life, not manna that they ate in the Old Testament, but him, his word, John 6, 63, he says, my word is spirit and it's life. And all the way through, they keep focusing on the physical. Even here, Jesus is not talking about physical bondage. He's not talking about being enslaved to another nation. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, Jesus then turns the discussion back to what he is talking about. Notice verse 34 to 36. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Free from what? Not free from physical bondage, freedom from sin. That's what he's talking about. He begins by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, verily, verily, King James language. What does he mean by that? Herein is what the Lord means. It means whatever you have believed up to this point, stop believing that. Whatever you thought to be the case up to this point, stop believing that. Because when I speak, that's the truth. When I say it, that's the reality. Whatever you have thought prior to me speaking, you stop that and start believing what I say. Truly, truly, I say to you, here is the facts of the case. Everyone who commits sin is enslaved to sin. That's the fact. It's interesting, the Lord teaches us something here, that he doesn't get bogged down in their error. You know, sometimes when you're having conversations, people try to get off ramps. You will be driving home a point, it will be valid, it will be true, and you will just about get them to a place where they have to accept it or demonstrate the quality of their heart, and they will throw an off ramp, and next thing you know, you'll be discussing something else. Jesus does not allow that. You know, they say to Jesus, we've never been in bondage. Jesus doesn't even address that. They're actually not being truthful. They have been in bondage. In fact, their history is replete with bondage, physical bondage. The Assyrians came, 721, took 10 tribes away. They've been in bondage. The Babylonians came three times, 606, 597, 586. They've been in bondage. The Grecians held them. The Persians held them. The Romans are holding them now. When that conversation is occurring, turn a couple of chapters over to chapter 11. Listen to a private conversation that they're having about themselves. Down in verse 47, therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And what will happen? The Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. 
they're in bondage to Rome when they're having this conversation with Jesus. But you know what? Our Lord doesn't even bother with that. He just stays and focuses. There's a lesson there for us to learn. One instructor told us many years ago, you don't have to bark back at every dog that barks at you. You can just let stuff go. You don't have to chase down everything and prove something to somebody who is not going to be honest with the discussion. Jesus says sin is what's under discussion. Sin is what puts you into bondage, and you become a slave to sin, and Jesus can make you free. Just here, let me pause long enough to say this. Brothers and sisters, this is why we have to study the Bible, because you cannot get what you need fully in one sermon week to week to week. For instance, we're going to touch the subject of sin and bondage, and we cannot dig deeply into that. We're touching the subject. But if you want to get into what's troubling my life, why are there challenges in my life, what's going on with my life, sin is the problem. That's the problem. And a refusal to admit it and acknowledge it is going to make it continue to be a problem. But that's not something we can dig deeply into. Secondly, once you do that, then you can understand the greatness of Jesus. Because how is that problem going to be solved? It's not going to be solved any physical way. And that's what people try to do. I have a problem with a spiritual issue in my life, and I reach for some physical to fix it. It's not going to fix it. I have a spiritual issue in my life. You can name the spiritual issue. It doesn't matter to me. You pick it. Everybody struggles. I got a spiritual issue in my life. What am I going to do? I'm going to listen to this guru. I'm going to call this person up. I'm going to follow this person on this, this social media outlet. I'm going to have you heard so-and-so? So-and-so can give you the greatest advice in the world. Can't, can't solve your sin problem. Sin is solved by Jesus. It's what makes him so singularly important. There is no one like Jesus. There is no other. Jesus said to the apostles, will you also go away? To which Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? I'd love for you to go home and fill in the blank. To whom shall we go? Peter said, if we leave you, who else would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. They're discussing the issue of sin. And Jesus says, I'm the one who can set you free from that. Back in this book earlier, John chapter 1 and verse 29, this is why Jesus is referred to as the lamb. In the Old Testament, they would crucify the lambs. They would put their hands and put the sins, if you will, on the lamb and send the lamb out of the camp. The lamb would take away the sin. That was the point. Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God. In other words, if you'll rework that just a little bit, it'll be God's lamb. And what does he do? John 1, 29, the next day John sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. This is the Savior of the world. He is God with us, taking away the sin of the world. That's why he is who he is and why we all need him. It's what he's been saying to these Jews. And so Jesus invites, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Rest for what? Not physical rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest 
unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you come to me, your soul, spiritual issues can be resolved. Where? In Christ alone. It's from here and this discussion that they delve deeper into it with a discussion of fathers and faith. Fathers and children, that's what immediately the Lord talks about. Notice what he says, because they respond in verse 33, we are Abraham's descendants. The Lord picks up with that discussion in verse 37 and says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So now we'll be introduced into the thought of how does one become a child of someone else? You'll read phrases like children of Abraham. You'll read in uh, 1 Peter 3, daughters of Sarah. How does one become a daughter of Sarah? How does one become a son of Abraham? How does that happen? Well, in one sense, you do that if you're a Jew by heritage, by lineage, by the fact that I'm, this is my physical family. They will say, we have Abraham to our father. That's what they say. And Jesus says, I know. I know you're Abraham's descendants. But that's not the only way to become someone's child in Scripture. You can also become someone's child through behavior, uh, through being like them, thinking like them, acting like them, living like them. You can be said to be their child. And so Jesus says, on the one hand, yes, I know you're Abraham's descendants. But then he will follow with, but you don't act like him. Notice a few verses later. He says, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Notice that Jesus says, if. If. You are Abraham's children. If you were Abraham's descendants, if Abraham was your father, what would happen? You would do the deeds of Abraham. On the one hand, he says, you are Abraham's descendants. I know that. On the other hand, he says, if you were, well, how can they both be and not be? He's talking spiritually. How does one become a child of someone else's in Scripture? By faith. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul will connect Abraham to Jesus and Jesus to Abraham, but it's through faith. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. Then are you Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise? How does one become a child of Abraham? By faith. Faith in God, ultimately because of Jesus. That's how that works. Look over with me in the book of Romans uh, briefly and listen to some of the discussions that Paul takes up in this book. In Romans chapter 2, for instance, in verse number 28, Paul says with regards to uh, the Jews and Gentiles in chapters 1 and chapter 2, he says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit and not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Jump over to chapter 4. Now, I should say in chapter 3, Paul says, with regards to the Jews and Gentiles, they are all under sin. That's what he's been discussing. In chapter 1, the Gentiles are under sin. In chapter 2, the Jews are under sin. Notice chapter 3 in verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already proved both Jews and Greeks are all under under sin. Slide down to verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So this is the issue. Sin is the issue. How do you overcome that issue? What is the solution to that? Notice how that chapter ends in verse 29. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Go into chapter 4. Notice who is under discussion. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. How was that done? By faith. You will find that quote back in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 6, where Abraham is said to believe God, but it's not fulfilled, James chapter 2, until Abraham offers Isaac 22.1 of Genesis and following. And so the faith is from Abraham, but it's a faith that does what God says. And anybody who's willing to do that can be a child of God. That's Paul's point. And he goes throughout this book saying that. In fact, if you were to read the rest of chapter 4, you'll hear him talk about Abraham being the father of faith. For whom? For Gentiles and Jews. Everybody can be a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice Colossians chapter 2. And listen to what Paul says there about Christ. And again, the significance of Christ making this happen. He says in Colossians 2 and verse number 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. Or in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you have been filled. Where? In him. Who is the head of all rule and authority? In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. How does one move from being in sin and then freed from sin? You need Jesus, and you're born Again, you're buried with him in baptism, he says, in which also you are raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's what the Lord is saying. You need to be a child of God through the new birth in Jesus Christ. The Jews reject this, however, and the discussion continues. Children of God and children of the devil. That ends up being the discussion. Notice how it continues. Look at verse 41. Well, verse 40 says, But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, 
which I have heard from God, he says, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Now, fathers are under discussion. Whose is whom? They say, Abraham is our father. Jesus says, on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, no. And then they will say, God is our father. And Jesus says, no, God is not your father. He's not your father at all. In fact, God is the, the, the one you call God. That's my father. We'll come back. Drop down to verse 54. Hear that discussion. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he's your God. He's actually my father. He's not your father. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I said that I didn't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. That's how you become his son. But go back up to verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, because you cannot hear my word. And then Jesus gets very plain. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks of a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says, spiritually speaking, that's your father. Your father is the devil. In Scripture, this is kind of the picture. One is a child of God or he is a child of the devil. There really aren't any other options. And in 1 John, if you have your Bibles, notice what John says about both. In 1 John chapter 1, and I would urge, if you're a New Testament Christian, you should read this book. Obviously, you should read the whole Bible, and I know that you do. But for the challenges that many Christians have, this would be a great book to read. Because many Christians struggle with their father. And many Christians struggle with the relationship with their father. And as a result of that, they struggle and vacillate between whether or not they're okay with God or not okay with God, whether God loves them or he doesn't love them, whether they're accepted or they're not accepted. This struggle is a struggle with your father. John talks about it, and I would urge he resolves it. Begin reading with me in chapter, chapter 3 and verse number 1. John says, see how great a love the father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. And John goes on to say, and we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Why don't you take that to work with you this week? For this reason, the world does not know us. Why not? It didn't know him. We are children of God. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. Has not yet appeared what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone, sometimes you get into discussions and you're reading your Bible and God is trying to move you to a healthy spiritual state. And because of past struggles and issues in your life, you have a hard time getting there. And God wants to tell you in 1 John 1, 7, that if you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And we struggle to believe that we could be cleansed in the light. And yet that's exactly what the verse says. And so God says, son, daughter, I never kicked you out the light. Your walk with me is good. You're walking in the light. We're good. You stumble and fall. I cleanse and we keep moving. That's God's position, chapter 1, verse 7. But we struggle with that. 
And since we struggle with that, we like to make ourselves feel better by very often taking extreme positions. And one of the extreme positions says is, if you believe that, then you're teaching once saved, always saved. If you believe that, then you're saying it doesn't matter what I do. I don't know how you got there from what I said and what 1 John 1, 7 says, but that's the position people take. I suppose it makes them feel better. Here's the misunderstanding. A right relationship with God motivates holy living. It doesn't turn you into a person who seeks to take advantage of God. It doesn't do that. It turns you into a person who wants to please God, knowing that God is pleased with you. It turns you into a person who knows that I can and so I desire to. I want to do the right thing. I don't need my arm twisted. You know, even physically, children eventually get there. They start out as little people focused on self. What else could they be? They've never been here before. And so when they get something, they say, mine. They don't know about sharing. And so we teach them to share. We teach them to give. We teach them to love. Over time, they uh, uh, develop more and more. And eventually, they began to think that their parents are bullies and always picking on them. You don't want me to do anything. I can't have any fun. What happened to you? Who robbed you of your joy? Who is mean to you? What happened in your life that all you want to do is make my life miserable? I'm so sorry for you. That's how children talk. Do you remember the days when you were happy? Because you sure don't want me to be happy. They think that over time. But if they stay under the love, the care, the compassion of the parents, over time, the children begins to see these people are for me. These people love me. These people want to give to me. These people share with me. These people. You know what the children begin to do? I want to please you. I want to make you happy. I want to live right. I heard a story about two girls. They were being asked to go out. They were getting ready to go out. And um, as they were out there, uh, one person asked, well, y'all come on, do this with us. And one person said, one girl said, if I did that, my father would kill me. The other girl said, if I did that, it would kill my father. These two girls have some entirely different motivations about why they're doing what they're doing. Such is the case with those in Christ. When you grow up in Christ and you start to realize how much he has done for you, how much the Father loves you, how good God is to you, and how good and much he's provided for you and cares for you, you know inside of the light you want to do right. That's exactly what John says. Read it in the Bible. John says, beloved, verse number two, now we children of God has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, what hope? Everyone who has this hope does what? Purifies himself just as he is pure. I want to be like him. I want to be like my father. That's the reaction that John, it garners. Then John talks about other children. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And he says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Who is he talking to? He's talking to God's children, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. He's talking to God's children. And what does he say to them? Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Deceives you into believing what? 
deceives you. How? John says, make sure no one deceives you about sin and whose child you are. Let no one deceive you, John says. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Who would be deceived by that? God's own children. People who are in the light, children of God, walking in the light. John says, don't let anybody deceive you. You're righteous. John says, don't let anybody deceive you. You're righteous. And everyone who practices righteousness, that's God. You're just like him. That's what John says. Don't let anybody deceive you. Now, sadly, the person deceived you might be staring back at you in the mirror. John says, let nobody deceive you. That's righteousness. But he goes on further, and he says, but the one, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's what they're talking about in John 8. Whose child are you? No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. What has happened to some of these people? Well, at one point, they were all in sin. And then they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then what happened? Some of them believed it. Some of them obeyed it. Some of them were brought into Christ by baptism, by their belief, their repentance, their confession. They were born again into Christ. Those people now practice righteousness. They once practiced sin, they now practice righteousness. They were once lost, now they're saved. They were once in darkness, now they're in the light. They were once children of the devil, now they're children of God. John says it's obvious. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Why don't children of God know that? Why do children of God who have gone through being born again, expect so much from those who have not. Why do children of God keep going out into the world mistakenly believing they are also children of—you know, John says there's children of the devil, there's children of God. Where are they? Well, there's in Christ and there's in the world. There's lost and they're saved. How come we can't tell the difference? And yet, we go out into the world having some very high, lofty expectations from children of the devil. Somebody say, well, Eric, don't call them that. What? Number one, that's what the Bible says, friends. It doesn't say something else. It says children of the devil and children of God. It says practices uh, sin and practices righteousness. That's just what it says. Why do children of God refer to themselves as children of the devil? You know, I've heard Christians say, well, we just a bunch of sinners. Wait, aren't we in Christ? Yes. Aren't we children of God? Yes. Well, we just a bunch of sinners. That's not what John said. John said these people don't practice sin. These people don't. In fact, John said cannot sin. Seed remain in them. Can't keep living in sin. Why? Heart would affect them. The location is different. How can a person who is in Christ refer to themselves as a sinner? You know, if you're going to refer to yourself as one who practices sin in Christ, you must also refer to yourself as a child of the devil in Christ. Now, you'll have to let me know how you did that. How can you be a child of God and a child of the devil at the same time? John says the difference is obvious. Not if that's the case. 
Bible doesn't teach that, friends. In fact, Jesus would say, marvel not if the world hates you. They hated me first. 1 John 3, 13, this very book, John said, marvel not, brethren, if the world hates you. And yet, somehow, I suppose I know how. I keep saying somehow. I really do know how. Here's how it works. Jesus, when we read the Bible, Jesus teaches about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light. I am the light of the world. I am before Abraham was. I, Jesus teaches about himself. Now, what you're reading in the Bible is that a person either believed and submitted to that or they rejected it out of hand. And that's what we're reading. Jesus would say it, the Jews would reject it. Well, then they would reject him, and that would be the end of it. What would they be holding on to? They would be holding on to Judaism in their minds. That's my religion. Abraham's my father. Moses is my leader. I serve Mo I don't go with Jesus. That would be the discussion. Fast forward 2,000 years, and what has happened? Well, if you go back to the Reformation movement in the 1500s, and you move forward another five, six, seven years, what has happened is, Jesus has been accepted in every religion. And so, it's not a rejection of Jesus in the minds of people today. It's an acceptance of Jesus. But it's not an acceptance of Jesus based on the teaching of Jesus. And so, when you and I go out into the world, you might sit right next to someone who says, I'm a Christian too. And as a result of that, when you hear the word Christian and they love the Lord too, you might be led to believe that's not a child of the devil. That's a person who believes in Jesus. And as a result of that, I have the same expectations of them as I have of people in the, in the faith because they believe just like, let me ask you this, who would concoct a plan when Jesus says, I will build my church? Who would concoct a plan that said, go to the church of your choice? I think I remember reading back in Genesis 3 where God says, don't eat, and another being said, you may eat and you will not die. Who would concoct a plan that Jesus says, believe and be baptized? And someone would say, well, no, you can believe in Jesus, but you don't have to be baptized. Who would come up with such a plan? Dare I say, diabolical plan to convince people that they could have Jesus without submitting to Jesus. You're not reading that in your Bible because there are no other religious groups vying for Jesus in your Bible. You read the gospel accounts. It's the Jews, it's the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees, it's the Herodians, and then it's idolatry. There's nobody in the Bible sitting down having discussions saying, I believe in Jesus, Paul, but I don't want what you're teaching. That doesn't happen. But that happens today. And as a result of that, many people cannot tell anymore God's children from those who are not God's children because they all believe. And so Christians keep getting tripped up as they go out into the world, believing they believe in Jesus. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If a person does not submit to Jesus, then that person cannot be of Jesus. And if a person does not obey the gospel of Jesus, that person can't be in Jesus. And if the person is not born again, well, then the person remains outside of Jesus. That's the way the Scriptures teach it. It would be devilish to say you could have Jesus without Jesus. John 8, 31, 32 said, if 
you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's these things that cause both those without and within to confuse who God's children are and the relationship that they sustain to their father. Paul addressed it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, where he said, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to those that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel. What a sad state of affairs that you could be convinced. I am a follower of Jesus and never submit to Jesus. No wonder Jesus said, he is a liar and the father of lies, and there's no truth in him. It's devilish to do that, and that's exactly what Jesus is discussing. Friends, if you want to be a child of God, if you want to be a child and in Christ, you have to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Jesus will teach it himself. In Mark 16, 15 and 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. We read in Colossians chapter 2, it's being baptized in Christ and the operation of God being performed. It's John 3, 3 through 5. It's buried with him, O born again, and of water and of the Spirit. It's Romans 6, 3 through 5, and buried with him in baptism and rising and walking in newness of life. Friends, that's the way it works. And without that, one cannot be a child of God. Sometimes you even hear Christians say, well, People in the world are better than us, and they do more stuff than us. And I just don't, you know, and they just down on the church. You know, if it were simply a comparison between men, that may be fair. You know, if you just compare one man to another man, you might say, well, he does more than him, and he's more spiritual than him, and he says more nice things, and he's a better person. You might be able to do that. But Scripture doesn't make the conversation between men and men. It makes the conversation between Christ and and being lost. And those who are in Christ are saved by Christ. And you don't and shouldn't go around saying that people outside of Christ are in a better position with God than those who are in Christ. The scripture just won't support that. Not a Christian this morning, you need to become one. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Change your heart and your mind, repent, confess his name, and be immersed in water. The truth, Jesus said, sets you free. Satan would lie. And he would say, it doesn't matter. Just believe and you'll be saved. The Bible and Jesus simply does not teach it. We can help you in any way this morning. If you have further questions, we have elders here. And uh, they would be glad to talk with you and share with you further information about any of this. We don't want to uh, insult you, but we certainly want to preach the truth and only the truth. And the truth is, you've got to be born again into Christ in order to be saved. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.